Let's talk about heaven. Man, Matt, Pastor Matt gave us such a good kickoff to this, uh, this series last week. Over the next four weeks, we're just looking at everything that we can uh, about heaven. And I'll be honest, last week was so encouraging. After first service, I took my family to the van and I came right back in to hear it a second time because it does our, our souls good when we think about the things above when we think about what God has prepared for us in heaven. And I'll be honest, over four weeks, we're not going to be able to explore everything. And so if you'd like a resource to maybe do a little bit of a deeper dive into it, Randy Alcorn has a book titled Heaven. It's a real thick one. Uh, and what I love about his approach is it, it's just really humble. Uh, there are things that we can know for sure in scripture uh, that are detailed for us. There's other things that God just leaves to our imagination. I think he does that. So as we ponder them, as we meditate on what heaven's going to be like, it will draw us into a sense of awe and worship of our eternal God. And so it's a great resource though. If you, if you look, uh, like to have something to study along with us, you're welcome to look at that. So the reality of heaven, we're saying throughout this series, what we think about eternity, what we think about heaven matters because it directly influences how I live today. And the truth is throughout human history, there has always been this yearning, this desire, this, this longing within the human heart for something beyond this life. Every culture, you look at any religion, there is this, this expectation that our time here surely isn't everything. Regardless of however long that time is that we're made, we're created for something else, which I think is a great sign in the fact that we do have a loving creator who has given life and he's pressed that upon our hearts to search for truth and meaning and to yearn for heaven, the eternal things beyond this life. And so it's been a, a consistent search throughout human history, but something happened a couple thousand years ago that really changed that search. God stepped down from heaven, the, really, the very real physical existence of heaven. He stepped down from heaven and entered into this time and this space in our human existence in the form of Jesus. And when you look at Jesus' life, when he talked about heaven, when he described the kingdom of heaven, which exists eternally in God's presence, but also which we get to touch and taste through our faith in him, there was such confidence and authority that this is what we were created for. And it didn't just stop there. It wasn't just a thought or a theology, but rather he said, I have come to give you access to heaven. In fact, through my life, my death, and my resurrection, you can be in heaven with me. And you know what? He did it. Every word that he spoke, he fulfilled in his life. And we see that the first followers of him were incredibly convinced that the reality of heaven is true, that the words Christ spoke is true. As they encountered the resurrected Lord, over 500 believers seeing him rise from the dead and encountering him in person, there began to be such a confidence in the early church that this life is not all there is. There is a hope of heaven and there is a place for us in heaven and it will change our life if we give our lives to that truth and that cause. And so when you look 
throughout the New Testament, when you look at the writings of the, new, uh, or the early church, there is such confidence in the reality of heaven, the hope of heaven. It changes everything about those people, their lives, their pursuit. It dictates their priorities. It establishes a hope and gives them a, a strength to sustain trials and persecution of all kinds. And it's because heaven is real. Christ has come so that we might have access to it. Hear the words of Paul in Philippians 1. One of the early believers in Jesus, he was, even, he was a skeptic, even uh, opposed the early church until he had an encounter with the resurrected Lord. And then he gave his life, everything, to the cause of the gospel, the spread of the good news of Jesus. In Philippians verse one, start, or chapter 1, starting in verse 19, Paul is imprisoned because of his work in spreading the news about Jesus now. And listen to the words he shares with this local church. He says, I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by faith or uh, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm going to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is much better by far, but is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. Let's pray for just one second. Lord, I thank you for these words. I thank you for your spirit of truth that leads us into all truth. And as we look at this passage, as we look at the life of Christ today, Lord, we know that the hope of heaven, you desire for that to rest in our hearts and our minds. So I pray nothing will get in the way of us receiving that hope, that deep-rooted hope in our faith through what you've done for us and the offer that you've given us in eternal life. In Jesus' name, amen. I mean, do you, do you hear Paul's longing for heaven, his confidence in the fact that there is a place for him prepared? Surely he was thinking about the words of Christ. That Christ said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. When it's time, I'm going to come back and get you. He's probably meditating on the fact that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But if you place your faith in me, you can be assured in the hope of heaven. It dictated everything about Paul's life. And he gave his time, his talents, his resources, everything as a living sacrifice to honor God here, but that yearning just to be with the Lord fully in his presence. That hope of heaven it changes everything. And so today, I'd like for us to just think about that, to dwell on that, the reality of heaven. If we receive it, how can it change things in our life? How can it change what we expect to experience here or even what we expect to experience in death? 
How can it change our confidence in being with the Lord in heaven? How can it change even how we go through trial and trouble and grief and loss? So that's what we're going to look at today. So the first thing, if you're following along in your notes, the hope of heaven, it changes everything. And it changes first and foremost, death becomes a doorway to eternal life. We live in a temporal state and our bodies are wearing out. But we don't have to fear death. In fact, death spiritually opens up a doorway to eternal life. If you remember the words of Jesus, part of the reason why he came, John 3, 16, maybe you know it. For, the, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever will believe in him will not perish but have eternal life eternal life. It's the hope of the gospel. That's a reason why Jesus came. Something had to be done to overcome our sin and our separation from God. And so he bore that mission upon himself and he lived and he died and he resurrected so that through our faith in him, we can have access to eternal life and being with the Lord. You know, one thing, a story in the, in the scripture I think about when I think about this is in John chapter 11. We're not going to be able to look at all the details of it, but I encourage you maybe to study it uh, a little bit on your own this week. This is the story of Lazarus. If you're familiar with the story, Lazarus, he had two sisters, Mary and Martha, and they were, they were followers of Jesus. They'd spent their time while Jesus was preaching and teaching, following Jesus, hearing his teachings about heaven, seeing his miracles, placing their hope and faith, understanding that he is the Messiah. He is the way to life eternal. And in John 11, we read that Lazarus became ill. So his sisters in faith, knowing what Jesus had done and could do, sent word to Jesus saying, hey, the person you love, your friend that you love so much has fallen ill. Will you come and heal him? And Jesus gives them this promise. He says, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. So hearing those words, you might expect Jesus rushed to heal Lazarus or he just spoke the word and Lazarus got well and people understood Jesus was God's son. But that's not how the story goes. In fact, Jesus and his disciples, they sit there for two days and do none of that. In fact, two days later, he tells his disciples, hey, Lazarus has fallen asleep. He has died. Let's go wake him up. <laughs> Can you imagine <laughs> being one of the disciples? Hearing the news, oh, Lazarus has died. Maybe confusion of, I don't know why Jesus didn't heal him. And Jesus says, he's fallen asleep in death, but let's go wake him up. Let's make a journey four days down to Bethany and let's go wake Lazarus up. And so that's what they do. They, they get their things together. They go, they journey to Lazarus' home village. And when they arrive at the outskirts of the village, his sister Martha comes out, no doubt angry, saying, Jesus, if you would have just been here, you could have healed him. But even now, I know that God will give whatever you ask. And Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. So Martha in faith, she goes, I know, I know he'll rise again in the, at the resurrection at the end of time, which Matt talked about last week, that future resurrection when Christ returns. I know he'll rise again then, but he's gone now. 
And listen to the words of Jesus in verse 25. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She confesses her faith. Yeah, I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God. But what does this mean? What does it mean for us to somehow have life even if we encounter death? Jesus is establishing again this truth that this world is not all there is, that this life is not all there, there is. If we have faith in him, somehow when this life ends, we will experience life immediately and eternally with God in heaven. He is the resurrection in the life. And so for believers, we don't even have to fear death because our last breath here is our first breath with him. Hallelujah. Amen. And that word, that promise would have been enough. But Jesus, like he so consistently did, he didn't stop with the promise. He gave us an example, physical, tangible miracle to seal the promise and seal the hope in our heart and mind. So if you continue on in the story, Martha goes and she gets her sister Mary and everyone who's gathered to mourn the death of Lazarus, they come out and meet Jesus. And it says that Jesus, he's overwhelmed in his spirit. Not just sad because they're sad, but anger, frustration, despising the fact that death is here, that we have to lose people and grieve, angry about that, angry about sin. No doubt an anger and a passion that would lead him to the cross. But here in this story, it's an anger and a passion that he uses to perform a miracle. He goes to the tomb. And he tells him to roll the stone away. And he calls out to Lazarus in the tomb. In verse 43, it says that Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and his feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. Who is this man that has power over life and death? Who is this man who can speak and say, rise? He is our Messiah. He is our Savior. He did it and he showed the power here on earth in his life. But more importantly, he showed the power through his own life and death and resurrection. And for us as believers, we can look to the truth of his word. He is the resurrection and the life. And so for believers, when we fall asleep in death... He doesn't leave us there. He speaks out and says, take the burial clothes off. Take the funeral clothes off. Get up. You're alive again. Praise God that he doesn't leave us in the grave, but he invites us to an eternal home with him in heaven. He came not just to prevent death, but to overcome it. The greatest the greatest result of our sin and our disobedience is death. And what did Jesus do? He took it upon himself and he overcame it himself so that we can overcome it as well. That's why Paul in 1 Corinthians says, death, where's your victory? Death, where is your sting? Through Christ, it has been taken away. John Piper, a pastor and an author, put it this way thinking about this story and what Jesus has done. He said, when Jesus died and rose again, he destroyed the one who has the power of death. That is the devil. 
so that those who were held in a lifelong bondage by the fear of death might be utterly set free. Followers of Jesus have had the sting of death removed. Death has become a doorway instead to paradise. We walk through it into the presence of Jesus. Therefore, church, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for nothing you do in the hope of the resurrection will be in vain. Let me encourage you, you have no fear in death because if you are a follower of Christ, he has eternal life waiting for you. He is our resurrection. He is our life. Be encouraged in your faith today if you put your faith in him. So death, it becomes that doorway to eternal life. What are we to experience? What does it mean then to be lifted from these earthly bodies and somehow spiritually encounter God? Well, that's the second thought we're going to consider today. How the hope of heaven means that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. You see that those words in Paul's letters, you see that yearning from him. He knows that when this physical tent, this body wears out, it means that spiritually his soul is going to leave that tent and that body and he's going to go and be with the Lord. And he gives him a passionate pursuit of eternity, an unshakable perseverance to give his life to what matters most, to be a living sacrifice for God's cause. You know, Matt spoke last week of that future heaven, that future earth. We get a couple glimpses of that in Revelations uh, 20 and 21, which we, we looked at. But what does the current state of heaven look like? What can we expect now? Well, maybe one, to have confidence that we have an immediate access to that. We can look again at a, a time of Jesus' life when he speaks that to us. He speaks it to someone in particular. We just celebrated Easter when Jesus went to the cross for our sins and then resurrected. And in Luke's gospel, as they account, uh, his account of the crucifixion, when you read that, you know that Jesus was sentenced to death on the cross alongside two other people, two criminals, thieves, who were sentenced to death because of their wrongdoing. And as Jesus is nailed to the cross and a sign is put over his head, this is Jesus, the king of the Jews, he accepts his end. He even says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And yet people mock him. The blood poured out for the salvation of the world and people are mocking him on the cross. Those crucifying, even one of the, one of the thieves, said, hey, if you're the Messiah, show it. Come on down, save yourself, save me too. People don't believe him, won't believe him. And yet the other thief, God moves in his spirit. His eyes are open to what is happening. That somehow this man, righteous, is willingly given his life so that people can be forgiven and have access to heaven. And that other thief speaks to the first criminal says, don't you fear God? This man's innocent. He's done nothing. And yet he's offering his life willingly. And then he says this in Luke 23, verse 42. He looks to Jesus. What an incredible statement of faith. He just simply says, Jesus, remember me 
when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, I, I might not be worth it. Jesus, I know I'm a failure. I know I've made mistakes, but just remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus' response to him is this. Truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. Today, what I'm doing is sufficient to cover your sins. Today, you receive salvation. Today, you receive the hope of heaven. Today, you will be with me in paradise. What a beautiful picture of God's grace. It's a gift. <laughs> that man did nothing to deserve it, but his faith led him to confess it, and he received forgiveness and salvation and the hope of heaven. And Jesus uses that word, that invitation into heaven, that, what that man was going to experience right then and there. He uses the word paradise, which isn't the only reference to it. If you do a little word search on paradise, oftentimes it's used in conjunction to what the current heaven is right now. What can we expect? You know, if we're going to spiritually leave our bodies, our souls are going to leave our bodies, is heaven just some like spiritual realm where things are floating around, no physical description to guide us into what to expect? Well, the Bible gives us some, some insight into heaven, some clues of what we might expect. Number one, those, that term paradise is really rooted back in the Genesis story. When God created all the heavens and all the earth, what do we know about that? It was good, every detail of it. It was full of abundant life. It had God's perfect presence on it. The Lord walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. And so when it says paradise, it calls us back to that, that man, heaven is going to be a place where we're going to encounter Jesus, encounter God fully. His presence is going to be with us. Let that encourage your spirit. And we get to see him face to face. But it's not only that. The couple other glimpses we get into the current heaven. You can look in Isaiah 6. If you remember that, when Isaiah has a glimpse into heaven, God gives him very physical details to describe it. Just imagine this. He says, I saw God seated on his throne. <laughs> the trail of his robe filling the temple with glory, the smoke of his presence filling all the temple. In picture, he says, the, the angels were circling around the throne singing, holy, 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 what we just sang today. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the host of, angels, of, of heaven's armies. What an incredible thing to look forward to. In Acts chapter 7, if you want to study that a little bit this week, you, you see Stephen, one of the first followers of Jesus, who gave his life for the cause as he was sharing the gospel and was being opposed and even persecuted, and his death was imminent. It says that he looked up and heaven was opened up to him, and he saw the Son of God, Jesus, standing at the right hand of God. Physical embodiment of Jesus with God in heaven that he was welcomed into in that moment. 
Even in Revelation chapter 6, John gets a vision of the current heaven even before what, what is to come, the new heaven and the new earth. And it goes right in line with what Isaiah saw, just God seated on his throne, the Lamb of God seated next to him, the angels worshiping around him. And he talks about the martyrs, those who had given their life, resting at the throne of God, resting at the foot of God even pleading, how long until you avenge our death? How long until your righteous rule and reign comes? And God tells them, be patient for my timing. He clothes them with a robe of righteousness, the robe of Christ. And he tells them to rest in his presence until the final day. I think it's reasonable for us to expect. We don't know all the details, and I think God leaves room for imagination because he's, fo he's capable of things greater than our gr uh, biggest imagination. But heaven is a physical place. This current state of heaven is a physical place where we get to encounter God. We get to be with others. The martyrs were together. We get to be reunited with family and friends who have gone before us. We get to be in God's presence and worship him. What an incredible gift. I hope that brings encouragement to your soul. You know, this, this idea of our soul lifting out of our body, you might have heard of people who have had experiences like that, kind of out of body, near death experiences. And let me just tell you, there's a couple resources out there where authors have done an incredible job to discern and discover those stories to sh uh, sift them through the Holy Spirit and through Scripture to see if they match up with what God has told us we could expect and what happens after our death. And there's two resources, Lee Strobel's A Case for Heaven and John Burke's Imagine Heaven. That again are stories of people having that out-of-body experience where they've been dead for a while and then revived and what they describe matches Scripture. And I think God's Spirit gives us those stories to encourage one another, to bring each other hope. I don't know, some of you, you maybe you have encountered a vision or a dream of God just affirming your faith in Him. Heaven is real. I think God's Spirit does that to us to give us encouragement and to keep us faithful in the pursuit of knowing Him and being obedient to Him. So what we can be assured of, what the hope of heaven does, it helps us to know for sure when our time here is done, our absence from this body means our physical presence with God in heaven forever. The third thing that we want to look at this morning as we conclude is this. The hope of heaven provides hope in our grief. In fact, to really believe that he is the resurrection and the life, to believe that that eternal home is what awaits us, it ought to give us great hope when we go through trial and loss and grief. Because that will happen. Unfortunately, this world is fallen. Our time is limited. And we're going to go through what it means to lose people. And let me encourage you in this. Grief is a necessary component of our human existence. It's a gift from God for us to process loss, to heal from sorrow, and to exist in a healthy way through the reality of death. I think for us as believers, we have to caution ourselves because sometimes the hope of heaven enables us to deny our grief, to deny loss, to deny the sorrow that we experience. 
We press down our feelings and our emotions. We explain them away, maybe through catchy phrases that sometimes are even true. They're in a better place. I shouldn't be sad. Or it'd be wrong for me to be sad. They're, they're with the Lord. Those are true. But you're here, and it hurts. And no doubt, some of us, we come in today, when we think about heaven, we think about those who are there, and we miss them. We want to be with them. And let me encourage you, God desires to meet you in that grief and to fill you with hope so that you can encounter his strength, his presence, and his peace. I think of even the story of Lazarus. Jesus, in that story, he gives Martha that great word of hope that he is the resurrection and life. Jesus knows what's going to happen at the end of the story. He's going to raise Lazarus from the dead, but he allows himself to connect with the emotions of the people who are in despair and sorrow because their friend is dead. And in the shortest verse of the Bible, it simply says Jesus wept. He loves us. He doesn't condemn our grief or our sorrow, but rather he weeps with us and then fills us with the hope of eternity so that we can experience his presence through the grief. As believers, we ought to grieve well because we have a hope on the other side of it. We don't have to suppress it. We don't have to deny it. We can grieve well and receive the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our souls as we go about that. That's what Paul reminds us of in 1 Thessalonians. He told the believers there, they were questioning what happens to the people who have passed and the resurrection at the end hasn't come. And he says, brothers and sisters, we don't want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death so that you will not grieve like the rest of mankind who has no hope. Now notice he says, don't grieve. He does not say don't grieve. He says, we don't want you to grieve without hope. There's a hope that ought to sustain you through your grief. He goes on to detail the, what we can expect in Christ's return. But it's more than just a prophetic word of his return. It's a hope that we can have in our heart right here and right now. A confidence that we can have for those that we love who have professed their faith in Christ. Their absence means, here means that they're present with the Lord. And we can, we can go through grief with that hope in our heart and our lives. Even yearn for that for those that we love. Paul says sleep. He uses that uh, euphemism just like Jesus does. Sleep, uh, death simply becomes a sleep, a temporary thing for those who believe because eternity is promised to us and we can have great hope in that. So let me just encourage you. This life is difficult, but we have a hope to sustain us through it. For believers, this life is the closest we'll ever come to hell. Praise God for that. Heaven awaits us. But even at that, some of us experience that living hell in more real ways than others. Some of us go through deep trials and troubles. And as a church, we ought to never be dismissive of that reality. But praise God, we have a confidence and a hope of what awaits those who follow Christ that Jesus himself is the conqueror over all things. And so we too are more than conquerors. And so when we face trials and persecution, when we walk through the fires of hell on this earth, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we can look ahead and say that what I'm experiencing now pales in comparison to the glory that awaits me. 
And God has given us that so that we can walk with obedience and courage and faith. You can be ministered to by his spirit and strengthened daily. So my question to you, to all of us this morning, as we think about heaven, we think about this reality, we, we think about what we know awaits us, is do you have the hope of heaven in your own life? Do you have the assurance of your faith in Jesus? That if you were to die today, you with confidence say, I know to be absent from this body is to be present with him. What blows me away about that story of Jesus on the cross is his blood was being poured out for the salvation of the world. There were some who accepted it. Their eyes were open to it and they received that. And there were some seeing it and denying it. For us, that's the reality. You might be here in this place. You might be online. You might have heard the gospel before, but you've never accepted it and received it. My hope today is that you would receive that forgiveness, that hope of heaven, that you would walk out of this place with a great assurance that Christ has good plans for you and that you have a purpose both here in this life and a security with him forever in heaven. Satan wants to distract, he wants to discourage, he wants to blind us to the truth of the gospel, but God's work is to release that, to open our eyes and open our hearts and receive it. So we're gonna to close today in prayer and I just plead with you, if you've not accepted that grace that was poured out for you, do it. If you don't have that assurance and that knowledge of knowing that you're going to be with him, you can receive it by just simply confessing your faith and believing in your heart that Jesus is Lord. Let's pray together. Loving God, we thank you. Man, we thank you for your word for your life lived out here on this earth, that we know by the word of Christ who experienced heaven and is there now that we can trust that heaven is real, that the hope that you have for us is real, that the place you're preparing for us is real, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. I thank you that you revealed that through your word, but you showed it and proved it through your life, your death, and your resurrection. So for all of us who believe, may we be filled with a great hope of heaven, a hope of eternity. That Lord, makes our heart yearn to be with you, to be in your full presence. God, put it in our heart and our mind just a wonder and an awe. Give us an imagination of just wondering how incredible that's gonna be to be re reunited with you. Lord, may none of us fear death, but see it simply as that doorway to heaven, a sweet release from this life of struggle into your presence and your peace. God, help us to be faithful and steadfast until our time comes, true to what you call us to. God, for anyone today, whether here in this space or online, whether young or old, Lord, if they have not received just this truth and this reality, I pray that they would receive that today. They would receive the good news of the gospel that, that you came and you gave your life so that we could be forgiven of our sins. And that salvation doesn't come because we do anything for you, but rather we just accept the gift you offered us. And Father, just like the thief on the cross, I pray that today they would just make a simple confession of faith of Jesus, remember me. Jesus, know me. Jesus, forgive me. Come into my life. 
forgive me of my sins. If you're in that place, you can just tell him that. Jesus, I believe in you. Forgive me of my sins. I want the hope of heaven in my own life. God, I pray that we would be people that are motivated by that hope, that it would determine our priorities and our focus. And God, that you would establish just a, a, a deep confidence in us that you are preparing a place for each of us. God, until we get to be there with you, may we live, in a, li- live a life of purity, integrity, and honesty, live a life of purpose and bring glory to you. May we do all that we can to share this good news, the reality of heaven with others. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, let's praise God for just the hope that we have in heaven. I I encourage you, if you you made that decision or if you still have questions you want to talk about, Jimmy's back at the yes table. We'd love to encourage you. If you've received that hope of heaven, ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins for the first time today. See Jimmy or I'll be available. You can uh, talk to me. I would love to pray with you and encourage you. Um, If you're online and you made that decision, there's a spot you can indicate that. We'd love to follow up with you and just encourage you. Uh, At this time, I'm going to invite our elders and leaders to come and prepare communion. Today, we got an opportunity to conclude our time together uh, with communion. And and remember, this is what Christ has told us to do. He's told us to, as we gather, that we should share bread and share a cup and be reminded of what he has done for us. And it it was because of sin that he had to go to the cross. And he willingly offered his life, his physical body, as a sacrifice for us. He even said, my, my body is given to you as bread. Take it in remembrance of me. And then he took a cup and he blessed it and he said, this represents the blood of the covenant that is given for the forgiveness of sin, my blood poured out for you. And so as often as you do this, as often as you take the bread and take the cup, be reminded of my grace and my sacrifice for your benefit so that we might have access to eternity. And so here at Brandywine, we practice open communion. You're welcome to come forward to take the elements and either uh, share some time with the Lord here at the altar or in your seat. Unfortunately, we don't have any prepackaged elements. The whole world is on back order from all the churches using all the prepackaged stuff. (laughs) And so you will have to come forward today and get... uh, get the communion bread and cup. Uh, Maybe I'll just pray for us real quickly and then we'll open the altar. Lord, thank you again for your great grace poured out for us. God, as we take the bread and the cup, how we do it just in gratitude and grace, we thank you that you loved us to the point of giving your life for us. God, we thank you for your sweet presence that's here and that we get to connect with you even as we share in this time of communion. God, may it motivate our heart and give us just a great desire to be with you fully and forever in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. So at this time, you're welcome to come.